0: Anger is a very, very normal part of this grief cycle. So when, you know, in this instance, when human beings are denied freedom and and have control taken away, anger is a really natural emotional response, but it requires so much energy and therefore it's not all that sustainable to be angry for long periods of
1: time. Today on Dirty Linen, we are speaking for Ray Bonnie ray is an integrated well-being specialist with a particular interest in men's health and mental well-being already spoken to ray's son on the podcast if you remember the episode with george Wintle when we were doing mental health fortnight george spoke so fondly of ray uh, it caused me to go and check her out online and look at all the amazing things that she does and as we think about gearing back up for reopening in Victoria. I thought it was a fantastic time to talk to somebody who is an expert about well-being in the workplace. Ray, thanks for joining me on Dirty Linen. Oh, it's wonderful to be here, Danny. An unexpected pleasure popped up uh, just a couple of
0: days ago. So thanks uh, again for inviting me.
1: Oh, well, it's yeah, I, it, the honour is mine. And I'm sure the things that you're going to say will be of great benefit to the listeners. Um, we do hear so much about the mental health impacts of the pandemic. What kinds of things are we talking about when we say that?
0: Oh, look, Danny, there is so much um, confusing and conflatus literature about there about mental health in the first place, let alone um, with the emergence of COVID. And, you know, speaking more specifically about uh, the hospitality industry now, it's the seventh largest industry here in Australia and it employs close to about a million people. So that's a lot of uh, people being affected during the pandemic. And I guess when we're talking about things that lead to poor mental health as a result of COVID, um, there are just so many that impact, uh, you know, the things that spring to mind with me that, that I'm seeing a lot of is isolation and loneliness is obviously something that's uh, continuing to affect us even here uh, living in Victoria. But things uh, like relationship breakdown, job loss, financial distress and homeschooling is a big one as well that's affecting people in their homes. And you know, with that, there's so much uncertainty.
1: So I guess people in hospitality are in various positions. Some have been working throughout the pandemic, but perhaps in roles that have changed quite a lot. Others have been out of work. As um, businesses move towards COVID normal, uh, Thinking about workplaces and specifically hospitality, what kinds of things might we expect to see, whether it's behaviours that you might want to look out for in others or things that you might want to keep an eye out for yourself?
0: Mm, It's a really good question, um, Danny, because I think people returning after COVID, uh, there's certain kinds of cohorts. We've got the cohorts of people who absolutely can't wait to get back. You know, they're missing the connection with their occupation, with their workmates and just sort of being free to move about. And then there's the other camp of people who are very, very comfortable in isolation. And they're people who perhaps maybe live with things like uh, social anxiety or, um, you know, just those kinds of profiles of people who work very, very well within isolation, who are now Um, feeling quite terrified about returning but you know if it was difficult before to identify um, changes in behaviours uh, in self and others the mask is making it even more difficult to read faces so we really have to be looking a lot closer not not just with our eyes but you know sensing changes like in, in tone of voice is a really good one uh physical appearance. And that's like, you know, weight loss and weight gain. It's not like, oh, gee, you did really well in COVID, losing all that weight. Anything that's changed is an opportunity to check in with people and perhaps, you know, ask a question. One of my favourite ones, Danny, is uh, what does it feel like being you today? Because that actually requires an answer.
1: Wow. That is a, a great question, but it could be quite a confronting one, not only to here, but to say, I think a lot of people, it it, it definitely goes deeper than are you okay, doesn't it? Absolutely. It is super clunky. Uh, But, you know, typically
0: here in Australia, a conversation goes, hey, go mate. Yeah, good. And that's it. So there's no opportunity for anyone. I mean, many people have been uh, using Zoom uh, to communicate, you know, whether it's within business or even personally. But I notice when I get on Zoom calls with an audience, and the first question is, How is everyone? the answer is always, Yeah, good, fine. And I could bet my bottom dollar that that's certainly not the case.
1: It's really interesting what you say about the mask and how it. Affects the way we relate to one another. As you know, what about? I'm wearing a mask. I want to talk to someone and I want to have a a meaningful conversation. I want them to feel like they can open up to me if necessary. What kinds of things can I do to demonstrate my openness to hearing? You know what's really going on for someone?
0: We have lots of different parts of our body, Danny, and hands are really, really good at gesticulating. I make sure when I go and I go on a couple of walks a day. And, you know, if I pass somebody, I'll just raise my hand to say hi, and I'll kind of crinkle my eyes up a little bit as well to make it look like I might be smiling. And, you know, some of those kinds <laughs> of things just gives, uh, you know, by or, you know, people who are in your um, in your zone, just that reassurance that everything's okay and that you're, you know, you can see them and you have noted them mm,
1: and, and acknowledge yeah. them, you know. It's so important to be seen, isn't it, especially when you feel like you don't quite look like yourself when you're all covered up. And I worry about coming into the warmer weather, you know, if with sunglasses, hats and a mask, it's going to be really hard to be yourself out there in public isn't it
0: that's right you know and if you hit the nail on a really good head in terms of our style you know how we style ourselves and you know how we take our faces out into the world with you know our identity and that's been somewhat lost because we've not only not been able to take our identities and our styles out um, there but also now it's been covered up so we're all kind of you know apart from the color of your mask really we all look pretty much the same
1: Mm. and yeah it's just speaking a bit more about identity i think so many people in hospitality have taken a large part of their identity from their work i guess as people do in all kinds of fields of of um of work and engagement but i think for hospitality people and, you know, the service, the rhythm of service, the rhythm of a busy restaurant is something that really marked the week for people. You know, you'd have your, your adrenaline would kick in at a certain time. You'd crash at a certain time. You know, it, it, the, the the patterns of your, that your your body really bought into were all part of that restaurant rhythm. I feel like for people who were stepping back into that world and as things get busier, but perhaps they won't be the same. I mean, I feel like that might be a quite a jolt for people and have different impacts. Definitely. I think people haven't really
0: understood the impact um, of this very, very unusual happening. And, you know, human beings, you know, are typically very resilient. And here in Australia, we're also very stoic and, you know, you just get on with it and just get up and get on with it, And which many people have, but have really... Um, missed kind of some of those behaviours that uh, emerge. And it's, you know, if it was difficult before uh, to identify behaviours in others before the mask, you know, it's now making it even more difficult um, to read faces. And um, also, um, as we said before, asking somebody what it's like. So when we're re-entering the workplace, um, we're still in this stage of grief. Um, because many people associate grief, say, uh, primarily with death and loss of significant relationships and things. And we don't realise that this time of such extraordinary change where, you know, so many freedoms are being denied, you know, our daily activities are banned um, and isolation from other ones just happens to be kind of a life-saving necessity. People are having difficult coming to terms with their kaleidoscope of emotion. So, um, becoming familiar with that process of grief uh, is really useful in helping make sense of yours and others out of character behaviour. And there are five very s- distinct stages that I think, you know, we've been seeing during COVID. But I think once we return to the um, the workforce or return to what they call normal, um, we will we're going to see some of these behaviours. And the first one, I think most of us can remember. Um, the stage of denial. And that sort of happened very early in the piece with COVID where everyone's going, oh, it's just old people. It's not going to happen to me. You know, they're just making a big deal. And I think a big deal out of nothing. And I think some of us are a bit embarrassed about um, our attitudes towards that. But denial is really, really important in the stage of grief because it keeps us safe in that moment while we absorb the enormity of what's going on. And it took us a while Uh, to do that and then you know stage two and I know that you wanted to talk about this too Danny is we're seeing a lot of anger in people Um, and anger um different to violence but anger is a very very normal part of this grief cycle so when you know in this instance when human beings are denied freedom and and have control taken away anger is a really natural emotional response Um, and many of us are still in this stage at the moment, but it requires so much energy, and therefore, it's not all that sustainable to be angry for long periods of time. So, the next stage people generally move into is the bargaining stage. And, you know, COVID's uh, commandeered our lives almost overnight, and it's difficult to imagine that just you know, back in January, we were effortlessly buying toilet papers, socialising and you know, touching each other and, you know, even going on holidays and stuff. Um, but, you know, we start making deals with ourselves like, you know, once this is all over, I'm going to, you know, go on more holidays, I'm going to be kinder to the environment, you know, whatever it might be, we get into this bargaining stage for, for when we come out of it. Um, but even that can sometimes just be a little bit um, draining as well, because COVID's just endless. It just keeps on going. So all the bargaining isn't working. And that's where, uh, people can slip down that rabbit hole in the next stage, which is depression. Um, you know, you come down from these really heightened feelings of anger and bargaining and feel really unexpectedly sad and dejected. And I think all of us have either felt that or we've observed it in, observed it in others. And, you know, it's a certain, um, it's one of the most concerning stages of uh, of the grief cycle because it's a time without you know people getting back into their routines and connecting with you know support services um, that people that can linger on and become more sinister. Um, and the final stage, of course, is acceptance. and that's not accepting this. We're all okay with the situation, but it's um, pretty much saying that, We're not happy about the situation, but we know that we have to, say, comply with restrictions or we have to um, just go with this new normal of life for now. And then, um, you know, that cycle can go up and down, up and down. So anger, you know, will emerge and then denial will emerge. And so when we get back into the workplace, when we're seeing these behaviours, you know, be really kind Be, you know, be very accepting and ask that question, what is it like for you? I can tell you what it's like for me, Um, but knowing that those uh, stages are very, very normal.
1: Yeah, it's interesting because as you were talking, I was thinking that people went, back into anger or that denial came around again. But I think it's because the grief comes around in a new form or there's another wave of it. And I think particularly in Victoria when we went into our second wave and this um, this current lockdown, it was there wasn't the, the energy of the first lockdown. The people didn't have that energy to throw at it. And it was, I guess, a renewed grief of like, oh, like what do you mean we actually just can't deal with this and move on? This is, as you say, this is still with us.
0: Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we we still don't know when it's going to end, you know, because we've, as you said, you know, we've been in, we've been out and we've been back in again, that we know that that's possible as well, because it's now in our repertoire of experience to know that that's possible.
1: Mm. So it's such an uncertain world for us. And I wonder what is, when we, when things are so uncertain, I mean, you can't just, you know, Change your attitude and change the situation. It's like you actually have to live in it. What can that do for our mental health? And indeed, you know, there must be physical impacts as well. Oh, definitely. And
0: look. <laughs> I guess no one's immune to uncertainty, Danny, and our normal lives are full of constant change. In fact, I was speaking to somebody, I was in a committee meeting yesterday and everyone's going, oh, nothing's ever gonna be the same again. And when it all returns to normal, everything's gonna be changed. And I said, well, that's kind of been consistent from the dawn of time, guys, because if you you know backtrack a hundred years ago, you can be pretty certain that things have changed. Um, so change is um, is certain. And we're forever making decisions based on uncertain outcomes. But the uniqueness of COVID is the immensity of the problem and the unexpected and unknown global consequences. Where we're uncertain of the economic and social costs, um, you know, travel, all of those kinds of things. So this is um, this could be the beginning of a global societal collapse, or is it the birth of a new era? Whichever way you look at it, I like to go a bit on more on the positive side, but. Um, no one can accurately predict when the pandemic will end and what reverberating impacts it will have on personal and societal structures. So this is a vastly different kind of uncertainty. Um, And there are many ways we can sort of feel more certain about the uncertainty, especially when we're able to take control and understand uh, managing our energy for the greater good. And I've noticed with people um, understanding um, your capacity for adaptability you know people like resilience have all varying different um, levels of adaptability and, and agility so it's important to embrace these differences and help emerge qualities and attributes in ourselves and others to help manage so you know you're returning as you said you know, to the um, to the high energy kitchen and you know everyone's on again and we know we've got to do service and it's a big day there are some people that are not going to have as much energy as you or vice versa. And that's the time to check in with people to say, it's okay. How do I help you through this moment? Rather than, you know, judging people based on our own um, capacity for adaptability. Because, you know, back in the day, Danny, we used to rap on about IQ being the big thing, you know, what's your IQ? That makes you really smart. But we quickly learned out, learned that, you know, EQ, that's the emotional um, quotient, was really important to be able to demonstrate the IQ. But I think in this, uh, there's another part to that, which is the AQ, and that's the adaptability quotient. So with the IQ, we need the EQ, but we can't do any of it without the um, AQ, and that's the ability to adapt, to change. So mm. it's it, it kind of makes sense, doesn't it?
1: It definitely does make sense. And what it also makes me think is, That it would be really important and strategic for people to have things that they can control, that they don't need to adapt to. Whether it's just something like starting the day with a particular cup of tea, or you know, walking a certain way, or doing something with the dog or the kid or whatever it is that's really controllable and consistent, and that you you don't need to adapt to everything all the time. Exactly, exactly, and that's what I think. Routines have been
0: the most critical part of managing better um, through COVID and, and and those routines have to be a little bit more specific because we're sitting in these environments, um, you know, many of us in isolation uh, where we're looking at the same walls every day and you might live in the most beautiful house with the most beautiful kids and I do, I'm one of those very lucky people, but our brains are like scanners. So we're always scanning our environment for things like danger, joy, you know, um, curiosity. love oh, that's a nice dress. Oh, look at that dog. Or, you know, we're getting on a train and, you know, we're always, always scanning all day long. And now our brains are still scanning. They're still scanning the environment for these, you know, pieces of curiosity, but it's, for, like, it's not connecting to anything. So that's why people are starting to feel so really exhausted, you know, by just sitting in the same spaces because we're not igniting, we're not igniting that pilot light. And it's just it's just falling dead all the time. So um, I'm really curious to see when people do run back out um, into the world, uh, how our brains adapt to that. Whether they're more hypersensitive to um, environment, or whether we need to re hone some of those instincts.
1: Yeah, it's so interesting because I suppose our horizons will be smaller, at least in terms of I guess international travel and going out and seeing the world and really stimulating ourselves in that way uh but you know, I th- you know i think people even in melbourne where we're restricted to five kilometers i think a lot of people have found that there is so much to discover in their own neighborhood or their own backyard so <clears throat> it's surprising um yeah, the interests that you can find in even just yeah t- tiny things. I suppose it's that you know smelling the roses, noticing the the butterflies, noticing the the gr- the grass, the green shoots, grass of growing, whatever it is. So I suppose there are different ways to engage our minds and to find things to spark us. Mm. And I think
0: that that's really happened. I love how you know community has become. Um, well it's really really emerged as something very important and that you know you said you know probably as an analogy looking in your backyard but literally people are looking in their backyards and over their fences and engaging with their community like never before and I think that that's really good especially for industries like hospitality that do rely on their communities for their for their livelihood.
1: Well I think a lot of yeah, hospitality businesses have felt so grateful for the community that's around them, and have been so buoyed by the fact that there is a community that wants to support them and wants to keep that business going. So it's there for all of them on the other side. What do you, how do you think that hospitality businesses can make the most of that to really cherish those communities, um, and to, to, be, I guess, be to energise, to use that energy to keep themselves going, but also to feed back into the community that supports them? Well,
0: I um, had the opportunity to chat with a friend last night. Um, He's a chef, uh, Daniel Greenwood. In fact, my George and he worked together years ago at Hellenic Republic and then um, Dan went on to uh, Town Mouse, and then ended up at Levantine Hill out at um, Coldstream. Um, But he and his partner, um, Emily, they opened a restaurant, St. Lawrence, out at Hurstbridge about six months before COVID hit. And, you know, he said when they first heard the announcements, there was definitely a bit of shock and uncertainty, he said, but they were just forced to think on their feet and try and put themselves in the shoes of their community. Instead of really considering you know, the risk to keeping their business um, open or operating, their first thought directly went to what will our community need from us? And, um, you know, he sort of said, you know, hospitality is very much that stick to what, you know, industry, but it's really misconstrued um, as a main focus. And the real essential element, he said, and always should be, is the art of providing. So when they got stripped back to what they knew best, like indoor dining and tasting menus and stuff, um, Dan and Em were sort of forced to pivot and adapt to ensure they still operated as providers for the people around them. And I loved it when he said that, because I've seen what they've done with their business and they, you know, they're all cakes and pies and, you know, um, food boxes and things like that, that he said, you know, they're operating pretty much like, you know, having sort of reasonable days um, in in the
1: normal world. Mm. That's, yeah, so interesting. I wonder how much of that will linger and in what ways it will in in various restaurants and food businesses we have around the state because a lot of people open restaurants because they've got their vision of what they want to provide but I think everything's been so upended people have had such an opportunity to reconsider their purpose and uh, yeah what it actually means to run a hospitality business So it will be so interesting to see I guess certainly what what diners want from businesses but also what these businesses are um, prepared to to give them well, that's right, Danny. And I think like other
0: industries, you know, hospitality, you know, for those who have really honed in on the AQ, that agility and adaptability, uh, like Dan and M, now have a plan B as well. So I think before COVID, you know, a lot of what I'm seeing is people who um, aren't managing very well, only had a plan A. And I think HOSPO is very um, resonant of that, that, you know, there was just you know, this is what we do, um, and it's not having that what will we do if, because we just take um, things for granted. So I think a lot of these businesses uh, now have a what-if plan because they've done it, mm-hmm. they've experienced it, and it can also be additional to their business. So some businesses, when they go back to business as usual, will also have an additional um, revenue stream as well, which is really, really handy. Um and I think yeah. that that helps build that business um, um, resilience. And, you know, I, I mentioned to you the other day on the phone, I do a lot of work um, in mental health for the Australian entertainment industry. And many um, Australian entertainment industry workers supplement their income through hospitality because, you know, they work in this gig economy um, all the time. So they always need, you know, a couple of plan A's and 10 plan B's. So one of those is hospitality, um, and that disappeared for them as well. So, you know, we see a lot in that industry as well, how people have recreated themselves through technology or but some fantastic success stories of people being really ingenious.
1: Yeah, we have certainly have seen so much creativity and especially in yeah, creative industries like entertainment and hospitality, I would say, is a very creative industry as well. Have you seen other positive impacts out of the pandemic?
0: Yeah. Uh, Definitely. Absolutely. Definitely. I think uh, the basic kindness of people, um, our ability to, uh, as I said, you know, adapt and be agile, you know, the human condition never fails to astound me, Danny. I think that's why I spend my life working in it. Um, But yeah, people's ability to uh, be grateful as well. I think gratitude has been riding very, very high, for so many and I know for myself that I do consider myself one of the luckiest people in the world because I have a safe home my children are healthy and well and well employed and uh, and so am I and we you know we we're, we're healthy so that does make us the luckiest people in the world
1: I've been feeling like really quite actively grateful for being able to turn on the tap and really lovely, cool, clean water comes out. It's just so, I'm so glad (laughs) that I can have a shower every day and have a glass of water whenever I want. I should probably have more glasses of water, but I know that I can at any moment. So yeah, I think there's definitely, maybe that seems trite or silly, but it's actually just a bit of a privilege to be able to do that. And we definitely do take it for granted. Yeah. And I think that the upside, what you've just
0: said is that, we didn't have these senses before because we live in this world of instant gratification, where we just push a button and something arrives on our doorstep. Or, um, you know, somebody even said to me the other day, the impact on people's health is um, is quite terrible because we don't have access to as much as we used to. And I said, reverse that thought and think about our instant gratification, sense of entitlement society that. You know, we indulge ourselves in anything, whether it's materialistic stuff or even food. You know, we overeat, um, we can buy anything, we throw it away. Um, And that causes things like for our health system, things like obesity, heart disease, diabetes, all of those things are a result of this um, overly enthusiastic need to engage and have. So I'm hoping that some of our new behaviours will be a little more... um, I guess, um, conservative
1: and thoughtful about around
0: how we um, consume.
1: Well, you mentioned the health impacts, but you also could just as easily have talked about environmental impacts, which, of course, consumption and, you know, the, just the notion that we should be able to have whatever we want, whenever we want, however we want. It's, um, yeah, certainly not doing the planet any good. So I, I really do hope that people will feel a bit more connected to the impacts that that their consumption has in that regard. Yeah, well, I I had this idea, Danny. instead of putting up the COVID
0: stats every day, perhaps they could additionally put up the statistics on how the planet is improving at a rate of knots, because it is. But we're not hearing that news. Mm. And that's such positive, you know, inspiring stuff that people will be more, I guess, um, engaged in continuing some of these new behaviours after COVID for our planet.
1: Well, yeah, I suppose in terms of, yeah, not as much driving around, it's um, certainly a benefit. I mean, there's still plenty of devastating environmental news that could be aired very widely so that people could perhaps be shocked into personal action, but also political change. But that's a, <laughs> that's a big conversation. Um, Ray, do you think that there'll be any, quote, pandemic syndromes that we'll need to attend to as a society for a long time? Um, I I think some of the things we just spoke about, hopefully they are syndromes that are really positive that keep
0: carrying through. But I did hear um, that some researchers over in Cleveland in the USA identified a rise in broken heart syndrome um, during COVID. Uh, It's also called something like stress cardiomyopathy, but it occurs in response to really stressful events. So COVID has brought about multiple levels of stress in people's lives across the world, Um, You know, they're not only worried about themselves and their families becoming ill, but also, you know, dealing with the economic and emotional issues, societal problems and, you know, the underscored loneliness and isolation as well. But, um, you know, it was interesting to see what, um, you know, some of these, uh, you know, psychophysical kind of um, responses that people are having um, to the pandemic and, you know, afterwards, um, who knows? Who knows, I think, you know, Look, even looking back to the early days and I listen, you know, to some of the stuff I was talking, you know, about back in March and, you know, predicting what was going to happen, you know, in the future. Like I was working with the um, University of Melbourne at the time and I was working with their School of Engineering, which also includes um, their um computer science school. So a lot of those people in that school were actually taken um, into the government to do the modelling around the virus. And it was fascinating to hear what their predictions were in the early stages. Um, And some of them were bang on, absolutely bang on about, you know, having this second wave thing here. And um, but still, I don't, I think the uncertainty thing is something for us to kind of embrace to say, we don't know, but let's stay in the moment and let's really, really focus on on the moment and resist the temptation to jump forward and panic or jump backwards and blame.
1: I love it. As I also feel in what you're saying that we need to use our, our reserves of kindness and dispense kindness liberally in every direction, not, not only to those around us, but also to ourselves.
0: Oh, Absolutely. And it, it, it sounds a bit cliche, you know, just be kind to yourself. Um, but kind doesn't mean looking at yourself in the mirror and saying you're awesome. It's actually taking time out to be in that moment when, you know, homeschooling, for example, which has caused untold stress to so many families. Like, really, does it matter that you complete every single thing on those endless um, <laughs> You know, um, study sheets every week. You know, my I've got an eleven year old, and um, you know, he um, and I was very fortunate to have George home for for um, half of the pandemic. So you know, George is helping Rory, you know, make feta cheese and teaching him how to cook, and um, you know, and through that he learns how to measure. Um, I remember their first um time they did feta cheese, and I think George got the measurements wrong, and that had to be tipped down the sink, but. <laughs> everyone learns somebody okay. then yeah um but there are so many ways we can approach some of these difficulties or you know when you're feeling things are dragging have another look through another lens and say how can i achieve the same result but with happiness with a bit of laughter you know chuck on vines or something like that and have a look at those we do that every now and then
1: and just laugh nice Ray Bonnie, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you and to have some strategies, not only to cope with what's going on, but also to look at what is going on in the people around us and to, yeah, just to have strategies to be kind and to uh, come through the pandemic as much as we can with shining light of positivity onto the things that are happening. So thank you so much for having a chat to me today. Oh, it's a pleasure, Danny Valland. And don't forget, that
0: question what does it feel like being you today perfect thank you Ray
1: this is Dirty Linen and I'm Danny Vallant we air the issues that the hospitality industry finds hard to talk about we spend a week thrashing around each issue hearing from different people with unique perspectives we want to hear from you as well if you have something that needs to be said about a topic get in touch so we can include your perspective. Contact us at Dirty Linen at deepintheweeds.com.au or hit us up on Insta at Dirty Linen Podcast. We can't wait to hear from you.
0: This is a Deep in the Weeds production.